Last week we ended our sermon series on the Gospel of John. It was an awesome series. We were in it for about a year, and I know I just had a wonderful time being able to look at the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And now we come to a new sermon series over the book of Acts. It's called Acts Rooted in Values. And what we're going to be doing for the upcoming weeks is we're going to be taking a look at the book of Acts alongside the six church values that our board and staff put together early in this year. They're, they're statements about who we are as a church. They're, they're statements of identity because we've got to know who we are before we know where we're going. And so we're going to look at those, those six values right alongside six scenes from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is this incredible story of what happens with Jesus' first followers. Jesus lives, dies, and is resurrected in the Gospels, but before he ascends, the book of Acts begins. It begins right in the first chapter, and the resurrected Jesus is still on the scene. He ascends into heaven, that first chapter, and then the rest of the book of Acts is the story of what his first disciples did with this message, with this mission that he gave them, starting the very first church. And so that's what we're going to be up to uh, for the next weeks. The book of Acts is a bit of a family history, if you will, if you're a Christian. So as we get started this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time that we, we have uh, together. Thank you for the worship that we've been able to already participate in. We pray that you'd uh, prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last week, we, we finished the Gospel of John. And that story seemed to end as Jesus died on the cross. But then he rose again from the grave, and the story isn't over yet. In Acts 1, the resurrected Jesus comes to his followers and he tells them to wait in Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit. And then right before he ascends into heaven, he tells them this in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The mission of every follower of Jesus, the mission of all, all of us, is to be a witness to the good news of life in Jesus. And as Jesus tells his disciples where to do this, there's a progress in location. The priority is first Jerusalem, because that was their city. Start there. Start being a witness where you already are, where God has placed you. For us, that's Denver, specifically the south area of Denver. Then Jesus does ascend into heaven in that first chapter of Acts, and we come to Acts chapter 2. There's only about 120 disciples of Jesus left, and they're huddled together, scared and in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit comes in wind and fire in the passage that Joe read for us this morning. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit gives those disciples the ability to speak in different languages. There's lots of people visiting Jerusalem for all around the known world. And so they are able to go out and speak in the language of these people to share the good news of life in Jesus with them all. Captivated crowd begins to gather. And so one of Jesus' disciples named Peter stands to seize the moment. 
We read this in Acts 2.14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, why they're all speaking in these tongues. Listen carefully to what I say. Peter will then go on the quote from Joel chapter 2. It's the first of three times he's going to quote from the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, because he's speaking to Jewish people. And whenever we're going to share the good news of Jesus with people, we need to find common ground so they can understand this message that Jesus has for them. Then Peter says this in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter tells the story. He tells the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. He's witnessing in Jerusalem, just as Jesus had commanded his followers to do. And his story focuses on Jesus' resurrection. He goes on to say in verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. We saw it, now we're telling you about it. We're being witnesses. Then as Peter finishes this sermon, this very first sermon ever given in the Christian church, we read this in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says the the crowd should respond to Jesus. If this is a message that, that they are being captivated by, they should respond to Jesus in two ways. First, they should repent. They should turn from the wrongs of their past. And then second, they should be baptized. They should publicly acknowledge their faith in Jesus and participate in this act and symbol of him washing away their sin. And then Peter says that if you have faith, if you have faith, you will receive two things. First, you will receive forgiveness of sin, meaning that those wrongs in our past have separated us from our perfect creator but that through Jesus' sacrifice, that separation is restored and we can know God because we can be forgiven of those wrongs, of our sins. And then second, Peter says that if you have faith, you will receive the Holy Spirit, meaning God will come and live in them. This is quite a message. So how does the crowd respond? Well, the last verse of our passage is absolutely incredible. Verse 41 Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. That is a lot of people. 120 to 3,000 in one day. 3,000 people are captivated by the good news of life in Jesus that Peter preached. That Christ has died. Christ is risen. And he has raised from the dead, and I am a witness. That's simple. So in Acts 2, we see this day that the church truly started. 
And we could summarize this day by saying this, that, that Jesus' first followers received the Holy Spirit, Peter preached about who Jesus was, and 3,000 people were captivated by the good news of life in Jesus. This passage is one of the foundational passages in our first value at South Suburban. Our first value here at our church is Jesus. It says, we will captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. We want Jesus to be unignorable in our city. The church began with this mission, and its first day was consumed with seeing that mission become a reality. The good news, making disciples, is why we exist. And as you come to Acts 2, this is the purpose of everything in this passage. The Holy Spirit coming to the disciples, them speaking in other languages, Peter preaching. The purpose of it all in Acts 2 was to share the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's our very first value here at South Suburban. Jesus, we will captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. But how are we going to do this? How do you captivate our, our city, our neighborhoods, with the good news of life in Jesus, as Peter did this day in Jerusalem? Well, it begins with each one of us taking a personal responsibility for sharing our faith. It's that same mission that Jesus gave in Acts 1 8, and it's the same mission that we see lived out for the very first time here in Acts chapter 2. But now we know sharing our faith can feel intimidating, can't it? And it often prevents us from telling others about Jesus. The Barna Group found that three-fourths of American adults that are born-again Christians in the United States know, recognize, agree that it's their personal responsibility to share their faith in Jesus, but only about half actually do. We can feel intimidated. Have there been times where you just haven't felt ready to share your faith? If our church is going to captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus, we need to know how. We need to be ready. So I want to look at three ways that anyone, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 50 minutes, can share the good news. Can share, as Peter did, about this, this life, this death, this resurrection, this forgiveness of sin through Jesus. Most people are never going to get to preach as Peter did to thousands and see thousands come to Jesus. But here are three approaches that every single one of us can take to sharing the good news. Three just practical, practical approaches to sharing your faith in Jesus that no matter where you are in your journey of faith, you can participate in. The first approach that anyone can take is to tell your story. As a church, we want to captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. And sharing your story is the most captivating, compelling tool you have in seeing that happen in your life. The story of your life and how Jesus has met you along the way in unique ways in your journey, that's a story people want to hear. That's a story your friends, your family, your neighbors 
they'll be willing to hear. In John 9, 25, this, this is the way the blind man is a witness. He shared his simple story about Jesus saying, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Tell your story. Tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life. Years ago, I sat around a, a table late at night with a good friend, just the two of us talking well into the night. I had recently lost uh, someone in my family they had passed and my friend was trying to be there for me was trying to figure out how you do that and somewhere in the conversation he just said Darvin how, how are you doing now this friend wasn't a believer he didn't know Jesus do you, do you have one of those friends that's just really hard to talk to Jesus about it's just hard to find that opportunity to to talk about Jesus this was that friend in my life but here in this moment, I was able to, to take this moment and, and just tell him uh, how Jesus had met me. Just the story of how he had gotten me through this time of tragedy in my life. And how it was only possible because of the story of the cross. And that night was the first time my friend had really heard the gospel. Because our friends are willing to hear the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. How can you share your story? Take some time to prepare how you're going to tell your story of faith before you get to the opportunity. Prepare your story in a way that makes Jesus the central character. As you do, keep three things in mind. Be able to tell the story in a way that makes it clear how your life and where your life was before Jesus, how you came to accept and know this gospel message, and then how your life has changed since. And here's the one warning I have as we share our stories. Don't let it just be your story. Tell your story in a way that shows how God's grace can impact the story of the person you're sharing with. So this is the first approach to sharing the good news of Jesus. Tell your story. Tell your story. People want to hear it. The second approach to sharing the good news of Jesus is invitation. Inviting our friends, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers to come to church with us. Our church exists to captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. And one of the most effective ways that we can accomplish this is inviting people to come to church with us. People who are skeptical are often attracted to the community of the church, the love and relationships we have for one another before they come to the truth of the gospel. So being invited to a church to see a no Christian community is one of the most effective ways of sharing your faith in today's society. We saw this approach in John chapter 1, about a year ago when we were there. Philip was telling Nathaniel about meeting Jesus, but Nathaniel was skeptical. So, Philip simply says, come and see. And that's the invitation-based approach to sharing your faith. Just simply saying, come and see. 2002. A Christian named Justin Hoskins was a junior in college. He was walking on campus the first week of classes during the fall semester when he saw out of the corner of his eye a freshman from his hometown walking down the other side of the street. 
He ran over the street and say, said hey to this freshman. And what he didn't know was that this freshman was really on the fence about his faith. He, he really was unsure about how things were going to work out for him in the next few years. Justin invited the freshman to a group of Christians, a, a gathering of Christians on campus that met every single week. Freshman said no. So the next week, Justin saw him from across the street again. And again, he ran across the street to say, hey, and invited him to this group of Christians. Again, the freshman said no. Week after week, this happened. The freshman started to try to avoid Justin, and Justin would keep running over to invite him to this group. Eventually, the freshman said yes. He came to this group of Christians, and he, he was very skeptical. He was unsure. But something just about the community and love that they had for one another grabbed his attention. And so he kept coming back. And his life was forever changed, pointed to Jesus. The freshman was me. And I am here in part because someone had the courage to simply invite me. Come and see. So how do we invite others? It seems simple enough, right? Asking our friends, our family to come to church with us. But often we don't. Some months ago we did a congregational survey and we found that while three-fourths of us are very comfortable at South Suburban with the idea of inviting others to church, that only around half of us actually do. And my suspicion is because we don't think our friends want that invitation. We think we're imposing. But a recent study by Lifeway showed that two-thirds of adult Americans say that a personal invitation from a family member, a friend, or a co-worker would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to come to church with them. Most of our friends and family they're actually open to that invitation, open to us inviting them here to worship with us. Inviting others to our church is one of the most effective ways in sharing the good news. But here's the warning for this approach. To be successful in invitation-based gospel sharing, it will cost any church. To make invitations matter, our church needs to make the outsider more important than the insider. In Acts 2, we see Peter and the other apostles meet the outsider on common ground. They speak their language. They use quotes from their works. As a church, we must change how we, we view our language, our music, our building, our programs. As long as those things primarily exist for the members, the insiders of our church, we'll fail in finding common ground with the outsider. They'll come and assume, this isn't the place for me. If we don't make the outside of the priority in our church, we'll undermine one of the most effective methods we have of sharing our faith. The invitation to the non-Christian to come and see. And this is the second approach to sharing the good news that anyone, any one of us can do to invite. The third approach is to serve. Individually, by sacrificially serving non-believers in our lives, we can earn an incredible and personal opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And 
collectively as a church, serving our community, gives evidence to the reality of our faith and creates curiosity in the minds of others of why we believe as we do. As a church, we want to captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. And to do this, we've got to back our faith up with service. This is what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 5, 16, when he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the the service-based approach to sharing the good news. Years ago, Megan and I got to visit a a missionary that we know and, and love in Central America, one we've supported and just known for years. And every, every month we'd re- read her newsletter. And I don't know if you support missionaries, but you read those newsletters. And, and, and for us reading hers, you'd read these short stories month after month of sharing her faith. And you began to think, how in the world is she doing this? How in the world is she getting to share her faith with person after person, seeing them come to Jesus? Well, we figured it out when we went and visited her. We flew down and arrived at night, and the next morning we woke up in her apartment complex, and as we were leaving to get to the mission, there was a woman standing outside the door. This woman was, was crying, and, and she was missing her family, and she needed to get back home. And so we watched as our missionary friend just took some money out of her pocket, took her down to the bus station, got her on a bus to see her family, It had nothing to do with the mission she was working at, anything people were raising support. It was just her serving her out of her own pocket, her own life, her own love. Then we went to this mission and saw her work throughout the day. And as the day kind of winded down, she took the leftover food, she packaged it in different containers, put it in a bag. And as we went back to her apartment complex, we watched her knock on doors and hand it to each one of her friends. And day after day, for the couple weeks that we were there, we saw this consistent rhythm as she just served her neighbors, served the people that she lived around. And wow, it became crystal clear why she was able to share her faith with so many people. So how do we use this approach of service? Well, as a church, we get involved serving right here in our city. And helping the efforts with underprivileged kids at North Littleton Promise is a really, really great way for us to start. And personally, we, we each have to look for ways to serve our neighbors and our coworkers and our families that just leave them going, why did you do that? But here's the warning for this approach. Actions are no substitute for words. As Romans 10.14 says, how can they believe in the one of who they have not heard. Serving, living by example is great, but it should be paired with speaking the gospel. And this is the third approach to sharing the good news, to serve. So these are three ways that anybody, anybody, whether you've been a Christian for 50 minutes or 50 years, can begin to share their faith. Tell your story, invite, and serve. Which one best suits you? If you looked at these three, which one is the best fit for your personality? Which one are you going to do this month? But no matter which of these 
these approaches you use, there, there are some needs, there are four needs that sharing the gospel is going to require of each one of us. Whether you tell your story, invite, or serve, we all need to be involved in four things to be able to share the gospel. First, we need a passion for Jesus. If our faith is dry, sharing it feels like a duty. But if we passionately love Christ, we cannot help but to tell others about Jesus. And if our faith is dry in our church, we're going to hang on to things that make us comfortable. But if we're passionate about Jesus, we'll let them go to make reaching the outsider the top priority. Second, we need relationships. Whether you are telling people your story, inviting them to our church, or serving them, it all starts with intentionally creating relationships with those who do not know Jesus. Relationships are the canvas that we paint our witness onto. Third, we need the ability to explain the gospel. Witnessing doesn't end with example. Witnessing doesn't end with actions but with words. So each one of us has to be able to clearly articulate our faith, clearly articulate what Jesus has done for us. Christ died for our sins. He rose again. We need to turn from our wrongs, accept what Jesus did for us and receive him as Lord. It doesn't have to be complicated, but we do have to be ready to explain it. And fourth, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would give us the courage, the, the relationships, the words to share our faith, and then that we would rely on him to do the rest. And we pray that our church would be a place where others that don't know him would come to know him. And that we would do anything and pay any cost to see that happen. No matter which approach to sharing the good news is the best fit for you. Telling your story, inviting, serving. We all need to be involved in four things. We all need to have a passion for Jesus, relationships, the ability to explain the gospel, in prayer. In Acts 2, Peter stood up in this crowd in Jerusalem to preach the first Christian sermon ever given. And the church starts with 3,000, 3,000 people captivated that day. The mission Jesus gave his disciples begins to become a reality. Now, 2,000 years later, here we are, our church. South Suburban. And God has given us the same mission. What role will each one of us take in captivating South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus? We pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that, that just even now you would uh, put on our hearts uh, just a few names of people we know who don't know you and, and that we would begin to just contemplate which approach we're going to use to just sharing your good news with them, Lord. We pray that we would give you a, a or that you would give us a passion for seeing people come to you, a passion for seeing your word taken out, disciples made, a passion to be witnesses to your work. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.